Welcome back to Interview You. This is your host, Lewis Shine. I'm coming to you live from this holiday season. Man, it's been a good holiday season so far. Um, myself, I've had an opportunity to, to spend time with my wife and I've had an opportunity to hang with um, a few groups of friends, um, play some games, eat some food. And so, man, it's it's come and gone so quick. I mean, earlier in the year, it's like we look so forward to Christmas and then it's here and it's gone. <laughs> so it's like, wow, that was pretty amazing. So I'm looking forward to New Year's Eve and New Year's and um, bringing the new year in. It's going to be a great 2020. But I wanted to talk about something today that's very, very passionate, something I'm I am highly passionate about more more than probably any topic in the game of basketball. This is one of my number one most passionate topics to talk about um, is defense. Um, <laughs> defense has been, for me, a defining thing in the game of basketball. <clears throat> I'll talk a little bit personally about just my journey of ball where defense really became a, uh, you know, a, I guess, deciding factor on playing time. Um you know, throughout the my ranks of high school, college, you know, defense was taught, but it wasn't until I would say um, in high school, my coach in high school, that was the first time that I was really introduced to like pressure defense and being able to um, be on a team where we literally full core pressed um, the entire game um, that began to speak to the inside of me to where it's like, hey, you know, we're going to come out here and we're not going to give this team a chance. We're, we're going to push this team uh, on the defensive end all game long. And so literally that's where it was birthed in me. Um, and, you know, at that point um, is when I started to make sure because, you know, when we did that, you know, you have to be in the, the proper shape to actually be able to do that and stay on the court because you have a lot of coaches, they'll press like that, but then they'll sub because players are like dog tired and they, they need a sub. But one of my things, even in high school, I didn't like to come out the game. And so the only reason my coach, by 80 to 90 percent of the time, the reason coach would take somebody out the game is because they're tired or they're winded. So I made it a point in my mind to say, you know what? I'm going to get in so much shape. My cardio is going to be so strong that I'm not going to have to come out the game because if coach needs me, I'm a starter, which I was, and he needed me on the court. Then I didn't want to have to come off because I'm tired. So I knew that a lot of other players might fall in that category the normal player falls in that category, but we and we conditioned well. Coach conditioned us well, but there was always a point where a player gets tired. And so I just didn't want to be that player where it's like coach needs me on the court and I'm like tired. I got to come out. I said, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I don't have to come out. And so literally I would do extra conditioning um, so that my conditioning can be on a level to where. I could full court press the entire game and be fine being on the court. And so that's how I train myself. Um, I always tell players, if you do only what is told of you in practice, 
<clears throat> if you only do what your coach has you doing or ministers doing practice during practice, whether that's uh, game type things, uh, skills, or that's conditioning. If you only do what you do, what you do during practice, that's not enough because that's what everybody does. Some people do it willingly. Some people do it and really don't want to be there. But either way, you're doing what the coach is telling you to do. And that's just not enough to make it, especially if you want to be great, especially if you want to excel, if you want to be an athlete in college and you're in high school or if you're in college and you want to be an athlete in the league. You know, as you go up levels, this this even can compare to coaches. If if you're a coach and you only do what your boss is telling you or if you're a head coach and you only do what is required to get by then that level of greatness is never going to be accessible to you. You have to do way more than what the job description requires or the coach is giving you in practice. You have to go extra time. You have to go um, above that. And this is and this is speaking to those who, who have a desire to be great, those who have a desire to win more games, those who have a desire to win a championship. You got to go over and above what the requirements are. You have to go over and above what the norm is. And so in my particular example, the norm was, hey, you know, we come to practice, we do some great running in practice, but that's it. I wanted to be greater than that. So I didn't want to come off the court. In a lot of in a lot of cases, I didn't because I conditioned myself so that when it was time for that, that horn blew and the subs were coming in, coach knew I was good because he knew he knew that I did extra. He knew that I was never winded and I never showed it. And even at times where I was, I didn't show it, you know. So that's, you know, that's one of the other pieces to that defensive thing where, you know, to play the kind of defense that is needed in a game. If you're trying to wear somebody out and not give them a chance, your athletes have to coaches, your athletes have to be well conditioned. I'm talking about well conditioned, because if you go a half of a quarter and you're really pressurizing the other team with your defense like you're supposed to, man, that's going to take a lot out of you. That takes a whole lot out of you. And and, it, and if, if it's not taking a lot out of you, out of your players, then it's not being done right. And, and that's me speaking from a, a, a coach's standpoint because I've seen it, but because I've been a coach, I can see, and some of you coaches can relate, you can see if you've been a player before, you can see if you can tell if a player is giving their all or not because you've been a player and you, you've you had to measure that same thing with yourself. Am I giving my all or am I not? Or, man, I gave my all on that last up and down or, or half a quarter and I feel it. So you, you know what that feels like. You know what it looks like. And so you can see it because you've been through it. And so for me, I know when a player's giving their all. I know when they're not because I've been there, you know. And I was one of those people that I maxed out. I went all the way, all the way. Like if I'm playing defense full court, oh, uh, you're going to remember me when this game's over because I'm giving you everything I got. And so that started for me in high school. And then in college, you know, I wasn't, you know, I played with guys like Wally Zerbiak and um, Damon Frierson and Anthony Taylor. These guys were like studs, man. Um, they They were high level guys. You know, um, from the high school ranks, college ranks, you know, Wally went to the NBA. We had other guys that, that had that overseas NBA ability um, that went on to play a little bit, you know. But me coming in as a walk-on in college, I wasn't getting shots. So I had to make me a statement. 
I had to make a statement on defense and that that kept me uh, relevant to the guys that were out there on the starting lineup. I had to guard the, the starting point guard in practice, you know, but I had to give him something, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and I did, you know, I gave him my very best. And that's how that's what kept me relevant to the guys, because if anything that they know that I was going to give, although I could shoot, although I could dunk. Although I could slash and get to the rim, I could defend. And so roll that over from college to the pros. Um, my my the year of basketball and the pros that I played, I actually was on a team with guys from top colleges, LSU, Cal, Colorado, Colorado State, um, those type of caliber guys. And so um, high major D1s. Um, at the time. And so, you know, I was in another situation where I, could, I had the ability, I could sky over somebody, dunk it, I could shoot, I could slash, get to the rim. But with the scheme of the, the game and coaches playing, it it wasn't in the cards for me to shoot shots all the time, or I wasn't the go-to person. You know, so on office, I had to figure out how to get my, get my, 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 my shots off and get my points, which I could do that in transition because I loved scoring in transition, but I had to keep myself on the court. And one of the things that kept me on the court is defense. And so when I got to that level and I was playing in the league where you had high major D1 guys, some NBA guys, and I had to rely on my defense to keep me on the court. So first game as a pro started point guard. I get to guard one of the one of the top point guards in the nation that played at Kentucky. Um and I had an opportunity to guard him that game. So instead of me focusing on my points, I was like, you know what? My goal this game is to shut this guy down. And so he ended up with about four points that game. But I, I did a really great job defensively. I stayed close to him. I tried to deny him the ball every chance I got. I made it hard for him to dribble. I made it hard for him to see his entry pass um, passes to the wings. I, I did everything I could. I kept the ball out of his hands as much as I could. And for me, that came because defense was a priority for me. And so that same defensive tenacity that I showed as a player, we rolled that over to coaching. And so here it is. I had an opportunity to coach at a Division II school, Central State University um, in Ohio. And the second year, I had an opportunity to be the acting head coach for uh, 20, 23 games, uh, went 18 and five during that time. And, you know, the year before uh, we finished six in the nation in steals, which was a major thing. And so with that same motivation and with most of our players coming back, you know, I wanted to do um, that and even greater that following year. So a major emphasis of what we did was defensively. Um, and this is for coaches as well as players, but coaches, I want to lean into you guys on this. Um, because, you know, if you put in the work, if you, if you employ these principles and practice defensively, you're going to output them. Like they're going to happen. Like the players are going to grasp these concepts and they're going to do them. And so I would start my, I would start practices with, you know, one to two drills I would start practice with. The first drill I would start is the 
is the UConn layups from half court. That was amazing when I ran across that and saw Gino um, Ariema using that in the video on YouTube. And you could type YouTube, uh, Gino Ariema um, layups um, to start practice. If you put any of that in, it should come up. But it's a great, he gives a great explanation about it. Um, it's a great principle. It works. I did it for an entire season and it works. It gets your practice started off like, you know, the right way. It sets the tone for practice. So it was pretty amazing. So um, I started with that. Um, and the times I didn't start with that, or if I did start with that, would it be the, the defensive drill would be the next drill. Or sometimes I would start practice with defense. But defense was in the beginning of practice regardless because we were a defensive team. And um, that was something that I wanted to do to set a precedence in practice. So we were about defense and that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to work on. And so we would do a full court defensive drill <clears throat> that had conditioning involved. That was to set the tone like, hey, this is what we're about. And so um, the second or third drill after that, uh, we would go into our red drills. And our red drills were drills where we would play three on three on three on three. So you split your team up. If it's 15 players, you split them up into teams of three. Um, 12 players split them up into teams of three. So you get teams of three, um, you know, you get your different colors, um, pennies, whatever you have, <clears throat> and you play three on three. We call them red drills. Now, these are probably some of the best drills I've ever done because and players loved it. Like when we say we were doing red drills in practice, players loved it because, first of all, you're competing. And so, you know, and then the winner doesn't have to run. Everybody else that loses, they have to get on the line after and they're timed on their run. So. Three on three on three. So you can only score on defense. And this is a, uh, the key thing with this three on three. You can only score on defense. So if you get a defensive stop, meaning a block shot, a steal, uh, um, a rebound after a, a shot, you know, any kind of defensive stop. And you can define that if you know, however you want to coaches, um, then the defense will score. So any stop of the offense in terms of scoring was a score for the defense. So when I put the defense out there, here were some of the things that they had to do. They had to talk. They had to be sit. They had to be sitting down in defensive stance. They had to shift, you know, shell drill, a la shell drill. They had to shift when the balls moved. They had to be in the passing lane. They had to deny the next pass. Like, and they had to have these things happening. Anytime I would catch them not doing it, then I blow the whistle and they're off the court. So if I kick a team off the court for, for because they're too too quiet and they're not talking, it hurts them because now they're not on the court trying to score. Therefore, they can't score on defense. So they go to the side and the offense goes to defense. A new offense comes on. So you play that and you do that for about eight minutes and the next team is ready to come on. Next team's ready to come on. The only way for the offensive team to get on defense is they have to score on the defense. So we did that kind of stuff all the time. And what it did was it created a hunger to play defense on the inside of our players. And so um, whenever we were in a game, you, we were getting that same tenacity. So if players are fighting tooth and nail for eight minutes, trying to um, get in passing lanes, trying to steal the ball, doing all they can, then it's going to produce that in the games. And so 
your atmosphere in practice should be 10 times greater than what a game is. If you're going into a game and your defensive tenacity is 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 not like it is in practice, then you're doing practice wrong. You have to employ drills that make players go all out. That's going to require everything of them. That's going to require them to compete at a level where it's going to prepare them for a game. So when the game comes, it's almost slowed down like the matrix because when the players get in the game, they're like, man, we work way harder than this in practice. Like this team is, is not even on our level and you have to push them to that level. So I would take the same drill. And now here's another part of defense that I always love to do. You have to put your players in positions to make them think. You have to put them in difficult situations so that when game time comes, when different things are thrown at them, it's not like a a new thing. It's not like it's like, okay, I've seen something like this before. I've seen this. I can handle this. So I will put them in complex situations so that they can think mentally. So when we do the red drills, instead of doing three on three, now I make the defense play against four people. So you throw another man in on offense and now it's four on three. So now the three defenders have to figure out how to guard four people. You know, in a game, it's going to happen like that. It might be on a fast break. Somebody's lagging back. Things happen. And so now if my players can guard four players, um, it's going to take them talking. It's going to take everything in them to work together to figure out how to guard four people, even though they have three. And then you increase that. You make it three against five. You can do multiple kinds of numbers. You can do four against five, four against six. You know, you, you just throw different things at them. Now they have to mentally comprehend what's going on and figure it out on their own. And then you come in and you help them, but you put them in situations where it makes them have to adjust and figure it out. It takes them out of their comfort zone. It takes them out of what they're used to doing. And so we would, I would do those kind of drills. That was one of my favorites. We would do our transition defense where it's like four on five where the man's touching the, touching the line and they have to run back. Um, so we would do those kind of things. And so doing that for an entire season, every practice, um, then coming to games, seeing our players play like that, you know, it was awesome to see at the end of the season where different things were happening, where the team was, we were top 10 in the nation in, in several categories, um, namely um, steals per game and total steals in the country at the Division II level um, because we practiced it. We taught them how to shoot passing lanes. We taught them how to deny passing lanes on the next pass and we taught them how to play close to the man that they're guarding and not get beat how to stay low um i see a lot of coaches and players these days you know and this is something that really irks me like when a team can sit and pass the ball around the horn but the defensive team all they do all they're all they're all that they're doing is they're just rotating and they're like in a shell drill so when the ball goes to the top they close out and sit in front of them. When the ball goes to the wing, the player on the wing moves to sit in front of their, their offensive man. And it's like there's there's free passes going around the lane with 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 nothing impeding it. Like there's no no kind of you know steal, um a, a attempted steal, a hand in the passing lane, um a, a 
You know what I'm saying? There, there's, I see teams do that a lot. And so really, I feel like it's, in my opinion, I feel like it's a waste of time and energy to let a team just come down and pass it where they want. And, and really, a team on defense is just doing the shell drill. <laughs> They're not, you know, why sit on defense and just do a shell drill? Like that's, I'm trying to not make any pass free. So if a player, a point guard comes down and wants to pass it to the wing, we're not going to give that pass for free because now once the wing gets it, now the wing has an opportunity to try to score or pass it somewhere else. So my motto was there's no free passes. So not only were we getting pressure from our point guard that was guarding their point guard or whoever was on their point guard, my point guard's job was we we, we don't want the the offensive point guard to have any kind of visibility. So we knew there was two places that the offense was going to enter the ball. This is universal 360, any league, wherever, unless you're in the NBA or a place where you can just throw a straight alley-oop from the top of the key. There's two main places where the ball enters into the offense through the wings or through the high post. That's, that's pretty much it. That could, that's, that sums 99.9% of basketball. So, um, or you could do a dribble entry where you can do a dribble entry to the to the uh, short corner. But mainly when a point guard is coming down, the ball is going to go to the high post or to the wing. So if it's me, when I do a scout, I'm trying to find out where a team enters the ball into their offense the most. And when I find that out, I'm going to cut that off or I'm going to try my very hardest to do it. Nobody's going to get it 100 percent, but you can get it very close depending on how you train your athletes. So if I'm training my athletes, we're playing a team, and this team enters the ball into the offense through their wings 90% of the time, then we're trying to cut their wings off. We're trying to completely cut their wings off because then we can also see that, and we have these programs that are such so amazing. You can look on Synergy in the college teams. You can look on Synergy and see how the percentage that a team enters the ball into their offense through wings. You can, you can look those things up. And so when you see those things and you can look them up so easy, you have to use those statistics because if you know a team enters the ball into their offense through the wings, 80 to 90% and most of their points, a high percentage of their points is coming from that type of offense that goes through the wings. Then it's like a cheat code. Why not work in practice to cut those wings off? Deny those passes. So so, so you have your point guard at the top pressuring the point guard, making it hard for the point guard to make a pass into the, to the wings. You can even see what percentage, what side they go to the most. If, if you know their, their star guard that averages 20 is, is on the left side all the time, you need to make that point guard go to the right. And then... You want to be you want your you want your guard that's guarding the point guard to be close to your man, close to their man, because now if you can make the point guard turn his back or turn her back because you're so close and they want to protect the ball. Now their mind is on their mind is on protecting the ball more than it is. Hey, let me make this proper pass. So now you have pressure on the point guard. Make them turn their back. That was one of my things. You make them turn their back. Mess with their dribble. Make them turn their back because if you mess with their dribble enough, they're going to turn their back to protect it because they don't want to sit here and think about dribbling. So that's the that's the first level. Second level is 
I want this player to think about their dribble so much that they don't even want to bring the ball down anymore. They want to give it up. So now that's where my guards start full court. And so we're going to harass you 94 feet. So we want to make our point guard not even want to bring the ball up anymore. So that's the first order of business when it's defensive minded, a defensive minded team, you need to pester that point guard. And so when you're recruiting, when you're recruiting players, you need to look for a dog that a, 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 a just a super intense Patrick Beverly type of player that doesn't mind sitting down in a defensive stance, getting lower, lower than the offensive man and wants to play full court, hard nose, face to face defense on the point guard. We had a couple of those kind of players. <laughs> so when I was coaching at D2, so it made it very easy for us because we pestered the point guard. When you pester the point guard, you know, it makes it hard. And you want to make it hard for a team to enter the ball into the offense. You want to make it hard as possible. So that's the first point of emphasis on a and, and on a strong defensive team. If you want to create that strong defensive culture, you got to have a player that fits that. If you don't have a player that fits that, then a lot of the times you're going to be stuck with playing a zone press because um, a man-to-man press, you definitely need that. Or you're just going to be stuck in coming back, dropping back half court and, and relying on a half court defense. But you really want to start your defense full court, especially with a shot clock, you know, because now when you do that, you cut off. I mean, if if you if you make a team take all 10 seconds to get across half, by the time they get across, that's 10 seconds that they don't have. Now you speed up their offense because they can't, you know, you're taking time off of it. So now their offense is speed up. So so they can't take all the time that they want to see every read in the in the offense, you know, to see where, you know, the holes in the defense. Now they have to move through their offense quicker. So by the time they try to go through their offense, you know, the shot clock's running down. And so you need high IQ players that can move through the shot clock quickly. So uh, just an offensive note, one of the things that you can do, especially when you're playing against a, a quality high pressure defensive team is play practice with a 20 second shot clock. If you're in college and you got 30 second shot clock, play practice with a 20 second shot clock because that's going to get your players used to being at a high pace, pushing the ball up, get into the offense, move quickly and get a score up. So if you do that in practice, then when you get in the games, it's easy because you know you're working with a 20 second shot clock. Now it's a bonus if you get down the court and you have more time but you want to get used to working on that kind of shot clock because if a high-pressure defensive team is pressing you all game, then when you get down the court, you know, that's 10 seconds gone. So why not get used to that before? So, so back to the defense. So once you have that pressurized point guard, now you need wing players that can guard the wings and deny those passes. So they need to practice on getting out to the wing quickly, denying the next pass. They need to practice on... Um, um, you know, denying the back door because whenever you play a, a wing that close, you know, they can try to backdoor you. So you need to work on players shifting out and shifting into the back door cut. So that's another that's another thing. Now, when you go to a team that's trying to enter the ball into the high post, now you want to work on your bigs being able to come up in three quarter in the high post. So now you want to cut that off. 
So if you play in a team that they're 75, 80%, they, you know, I played, I played a team like my last year of coaching in college. We played a team that entered the ball into the high post a lot, like over 50% of the time they entered the ball into the high post in their offense. So you want to be able to practice that in practice and be able to cut that off. So now you make a team have to play def. You have, you make a team have to go to another option to try to score because you're cutting their main option off. And that's called playing the percentages. And as a defensive minded team, you have to play those kind of percentages because the averages don't lie. If a team, if they average going to a certain spot on the court and their points are high in a game and that's their average, they average 40 points in the paint or they average 40 points from their high post entry offenses. You want to cut that off. Make them have to figure something else out, but you cut it off. Um, I'll end with this here. Um, one of my things that's a pet peeve of mine is watching a three-point shooting team win with three-point shots, easy three-point shots. Now, it's one thing where you might have a team that, you know, they shoot threes and they're shooting lights out, they're shooting in your face, you got hands up, you running at them. You're in position and they're just knocking down shots on you. What well, is another thing when you're watching a game and you see a team and they're getting wide open shots and, and you're watching this game and you say, man, who who did the scouting report? Like, why isn't there a player in the vicinity of their leading three point shooter? Like what happened there? What's the breakdown? And so quick example uh, my last my last year at D two we had we played a team that um, they had a player and this player averaged over twenty points and you know four to five three pointers a game and so we we've seen that team just by watching scout they break the backs of teams because they they're hitting those threes and I say you know what that's not gonna happen to us so when I went into scout and it's very scout is very important never rush through a scout because you're like oh twenty minute scout and then we got to get on the court. Like that's that does you a disservice because if you just rush through it and the players don't have time to ask questions or you don't have time to just sit and talk about the importance of something and why it's important, then you just rush through. You go on the court, run through it, and then practice is over and you kept your time frame, but you go out there and get killed <laughs> with teams shooting threes on you. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Like if you're if you're scouting the team and they're hitting nine to ten three pointers a game, which is like twenty seven to thirty points a game in three pointers. You can win that game, but you have to scout it properly and you have to um, teach what needs to be taught in order to stop that from happening. So literally, when I was the acting head coach of Division Two, my scout sessions were one hour, like no less, like one complete hour because we're trying to win a game and not only win a game, but we're trying to win a championship. And then, you know, jobs are on the line and different things like that. Like it wasn't a play thing to me. Like we're trying to win. So we have 20 hours of care log hours for a reason. So we're going to use them just like you study for a test. You don't want your players studying for academic tests. Oh, just get 20 minutes in and then quick and then go to class. Like, you know, no, no, we're going to take time. I want them to see the personnel. I want them to see how this three point shooter is getting their shots off. I want them to see that over and over. And then we talk about it. So we would do an hour session, this particular game, show them how this player gets their shots off. 
you know, out of what plays. And we say, you know what? If we don't do anything else, that 20 points a game not happening next game. That is not happening. We're going to take that away. So have my two best defensive players on the team. Gave them instructions. So you see how she's getting it off. This is how she does. This is how she runs off screens. This is how she runs baseline. I want you to take her completely out of the game. Now, I didn't just say that and leave it there. I said, this is what I want you to do. When you're guarding her, I don't want you to help off of her. I want you to face guard her. Every time she turns around, I want her to feel your breath on her face. I don't want you helping off. I don't want to hear my bad coach. I'm sorry. I tried to help off with the post and and they threw it back out and she hit a three. I don't want you to do that. We're going to trust our post to play this game. So post, post going to handle post players. I want you to take her completely out the game. When I took one player out, I sent another player to her. She she might have hit shot one three-pointer. Um, she scored two points. She averaged 20-some points a game. She scored two points that game. We won the game. They had to figure it out another way. To me, that's simple. But I see it over and over again where teams, you know, you can forecast it. If you look at a, if you look at a, a game before the game, if you look at the stats from the last three games, you can see like, okay, they're allowing these two players to hit threes. That's how they're winning the game. And you can track it back down the season like – this, this is how they win. When they hit three-pointers, they win. So let's take these away from them and let them figure it out in the post. Or if you look at a post team and they score 50 points in the paint, then you got you to gotta scout that and work on that so that it won't happen. And so that's one of my passions right there. You know, defense, every aspect. And this podcast in this 30 minutes isn't enough to talk about it all, but um, – Defense is a passion of mine. Like I say, we we were top 10 in the nation when I was an acting head coach, um, you know, in steals, steals per game, um, three-point defense, offensive rebounds. Um, we, we, we had a lot of great things. We, we were um, ranked in the region, top, top uh, 10. You know, we did a lot of great things that year. Um, but defensively, we did a lot um, – Turnovers forced. We were in the top 10. Um, we scored so many points off of our defense. When our offense wasn't going, we can count on our defense to become our offense because we had a lot of fast break points. We had a lot of uh, turnovers off of steals. So we did a lot of great things. So um, defense is a passion of mine. And like I said, I just wanted to get on here and talk a little bit about it. I know I was kind of all over the place with the defense, but I hope some of it made sense to you guys. Um with the this defense, different defensive concepts and some of the things you can do, uh, please reach out to me if you have any questions um, on some of these things defensively. Um, I love it. I crave it. Um, it's something that I do very well. Um, I've coached it very well, taught it very well. I've had great results because of it. So um, defense is everything, man. Defense, you have to have a defense to win the championship. You, there's no way unless you're averaging 200 points a game. You got to have that defense, defensive uh, um, part of, of your team. So um going to talk about it a little more on some of these podcasts, but I want to get on today um, to talk a little bit about it myself because it's a passion of mine. Um, make sure you guys go to my website, lewisshine.com. I have a lot of resources for coaches, players, um, podcast links that you can check out every, every uh, um, segment that I've done on there with some of my special guests. Um, also, follow me on my 
um, social media. I'm on every platform at Lewis Shine. Um, We'll love to connect with you on there. Um, But thanks for listening in today. As I talked a little bit and rambled a little bit about defense, um, it's a passion of mine. I'm going to be talking a little bit more about it, but tune into our next episode. Um, we post these daily um, right now with the holiday. It's been a little bit, you know, here and there just because, you know, respecting people's times. But as we go into the new year, um, we're definitely going to get it on a very frequent schedule where we're going to be bringing a lot of things to you guys to listen to, take notes on to learn um, and to enjoy. So. Until next time, this is your host, Lewis Shine. Thanks for tuning in to interview you, and we'll see you on the next episode.